If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher, or the tomb, at the rising of the sun. And they said amongst themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Father, we need your touch. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your anointing. Lord, I ask you today to hide this vessel of bones and flesh behind the cross so that only Jesus is seen and only Jesus is heard. Guide and direct my words and open the ears of every person in this room. Open the hearts of every person in this room to receive. May your word go forth as good seed into good soil, that it may bring forth an abundant and bountiful harvest. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. And the church said, It is without hesitation or reservation that I stand in the face of those with faith and those that are skeptics and say to you boldly, Jesus Christ is alive and he is alive forevermore. I say today boldly that he has the keys of hell and of death. That he in reality is not just king of one nation of Jews, but he is the king of all kings and he is the Lord of of all lords no matter what position you find yourself in this morning spiritually I assure you by the promises of the Word of God that because he lives you can live also he was hung on a brutal cross 9 o'clock a.m. on Good Friday morning he hung there for six hours bloodied 
beaten brutally, bleeding profusely from his body until 3 o'clock that same Good Friday afternoon at which he said these words, not I am finished, but it is finished. The plan of salvation, the work of redemption has come to pass. And so now, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The plan of salvation was begun and completed by Jesus Christ for all mankind both in the past, in the present, and in the future. Again, you can have eternal life because Jesus Christ died and rose again. But on this Resurrection Sunday, as I have done in times past, I've asked myself the question in a very practical way. Who would have been most touched in the cast of the resurrection story, who would have been most impacted by seeing Jesus alive again? As I thought about that, obviously the first person that came to my mind was his earthly mother. As every mother in this room could even begin to relate to the mother of Jesus, Mary, who had carried him for nine months in her womb, had nurtured him through infancy and childhood and his teenage years. She had watched him perform miracle after miracle, but she was present when her oldest son died such a cruel death as an innocent man hanging on a cross. She had to be elated. She had to be ecstatic to see Jesus when he was resurrected from the dead. And then I thought about Mary Magdalene, another Mary, this was not anyone that was related to the Lord, but if anybody was steeped in sin, Mary Magdalene was. She wasn't just bound up in her trespasses and sins. She was demonically possessed. Multiple demons occupied this woman. But one day she met Jesus during his earthly ministry, and he cast multiple demons out of her soul and out of her life. In fact, she was so connected and, and so loved the Lord that she was one of the first ones at the tomb and, and wanted to see. She was so desperate to see Jesus resurrected again. And I thought about John the Beloved. He's called John the Beloved for a reason. It just seemed like that everywhere you found Jesus, you found John the Beloved. He, he was such a, a close, close personal friend of the Lord. I don't know that any of the disciples put themselves or postured themselves any closer to Jesus than John the Apostle did. For at one point, uh, during one of their suppers together, he, he laid back his head upon the chest of Jesus. That's how much he loved the Lord. Then, of course, I thought about the religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, where we get that great golden text of all the Bible, it came from an encounter from a religious leader that had met Jesus at night. He had met him at night because he was afraid of losing his reputation in the daytime. And so he still had spiritual questions. He knew there was something more than Judaism. And so he came to talk to the Lord in the nighttime hour, and he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And eventually he would give his heart to the Lord. And in fact, when Jesus gave up, 
the ghost. He would be one of the men that would walk out of the shadows into the daytime and take the bloodied body of the Lord down from the cross, sacrificing his reputation, sacrificing everything about his future in, in the Jewish religion. He sacrificed all of that on the day he walked out of the darkness into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I imagine he was excited after giving up everything to see the Lord resurrected. Then I thought about Thomas. Thomas, that guy gets a bad rap, doesn't he? I mean, everywhere you, he's not one of those guys uh, believe to see. He's one of those guys that you got to see it to believe it. And so he was known for his skepticism and known for his doubt. In fact, he's called Doubting Thomas. And he said, I, he, everybody's telling him, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And Thomas said, I will not believe that he's alive unless I can thrust my hands in that, in that side where the sword went or unless I can feel the nail prints in his hands. And sure enough, Jesus shows up behind a closed door one day and there Thomas is with a group of them and Thomas sure enough saw the nail pierced side. He sure enough saw the nail riveted hands and then he fell down on his knees and he said these words my Lord and my God. I imagine there were several that were excited to see Jesus alive again but I want to share with you this morning the one that I believe most overwhelmed and impacted by seeing Jesus again was Simon Peter. Peter. Yes, Peter, the one who impulsively jumped out of the boat and walked on water. Yes, Peter, the one who often got in other people's business and didn't tend enough to his own business. Yes, Peter, the one who looked to Jesus one day and said in one breath, you are the son of the living God, but just a few breaths later, he is rebuking the Lord for the plan to go to the cross of Calvary. In fact, Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Yes, this is Peter. Peter that on the night of his crucifixion, he commits the most dreadful act in that he denies the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. Now, I want to stop here and make sure you understand the gravity of what he has done. The gravity of Peter's denial. For the words of Jesus, out of Jesus Jesus' own mouth is this, if any man denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father and his holy angels. That's how, that's how, how much depth there was. That's how sobering the sin of denial was here. And if we stopped here, it would make for a sobering reminder that in this room is filled with people that have failed Jesus often. You're looking at at a preacher that has denied the Lord. You're sitting amongst people that have betrayed the Lord and doubted the Lord and have offended the Lord. But I'm glad to tell you today that the story doesn't end there. See, as I began to process that, I began to ask the question, after Jesus has, uh, has died and resurrected, he doesn't have to do anything else. He's bled on a cross. He said it 
it is finished. He rose from the grave on the third day to provide salvation for everyone in this room and everyone in the world. He has become the substitution for our sins. He is not only the sacrificial lamb, but he is also the high priest. His work is done. He doesn't have to stay. And I'm sure in his heart, he had a longing to get back to the Father and get back to heaven and assume his throne that he gave up some 33 and a half years ago. Calvary was finished. The resurrection was accomplished. The victory had been won. Jesus had been glorified. Redemption has come to pass. He's purchased salvation, and yet he stays for 40 more days. Aunt B, I asked the question, why in the world did he stay for 40 more days? What would be the purpose behind it? And a few thoughts came to my mind. The first was, maybe it was just to prove resurrection. Be among the people. Let them see his nail-riveted hands or the piercing in his side like he did for Thomas. You know, maybe perform, maybe it was to minister to others, to perform a few more miracles, to open a few more blinded eyes to unstop a few more deaf ears. Maybe, just maybe, it was to spend a little more time with his mother. You know how tragic it would have been for him to rise from the dead. She's gone through one bout of mourning and grief, and then without spending just a few more days with her, he just ascends to heaven and, and, and just leaves her in her own devices and to work through another round and another cycle uh, of emotions. And then I thought, well, maybe it was to prepare the disciples because 50 days from the time of Calvary would come another great day called Pentecost when there would be a great outpouring of the Spirit. So maybe he needed to prepare his disciples for that. But then I'm telling you, when I prayed through this over the years, I've looked at it many times. When I looked at this and I look at it and I think, Lord, if, if, if there was a reason, what is the primary reason you stayed? And I'm here to tell you that I believe that he loved Peter so much that he wanted to forgive him and that he wanted to restore him. And if he didn't stay 40 more days for anyone else, he stayed for Peter. Oh, praise the Lord. You see, one thing I know, the golden text of the Bible is for everyone in the room. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. That's a verse for anyone and everyone for he's willing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. But can I tell you something for our purposes today Mark 16 and 7 is the golden text and it's these words go tell my disciples and Peter. In other words go tell Peter that I've risen from the dead. Oh yes Peter has followed me from a distance but you go tell Peter I'm looking for him oh yes Peter ran away when I was arrested and he did not stand by me like he promised but you go tell Peter I am looking for him oh yes I have been denied by Peter but I'm looking for him Peter warmed himself by the fire but while I was suffering out in the cold but you go tell Peter I'm looking for him Peter has lied about me he has swore about me. He has 
cursed about me. This is the Peter that I called. This is the Peter that I chose. I used him to heal others. I blessed him not once but twice with two great catches of fish when he had toiled all night and didn't catch anything. I had always done good by Peter. As a matter of fact, one day I told Peter, come walking on the water, and I gave him power over creation to literally walk on the uh, the waves of the water. He has let me down. He has betrayed me. He has denied me. He has cursed me. He has swore about me. Nonetheless, you go tell Peter, I am looking for him. You see, this denial was was real. When you deny Jesus, you lose out completely. You have no hope. You have no future. You are a walking dead man, a walking dead woman, a walking dead young person. If you deny Jesus in front of men, in front of other young people, in front of other women, the scripture is clear that Jesus will deny you, you know, Lord, I feel a meddlesome spirit coming on. You see, what happens a lot of times is we want just enough of Christianity to get us into heaven, but we don't really want to sell out to the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. He can't just be your Savior. He's got to be your Lord. And he, if He's not Lord over everything in your life, He's not Lord over anything in your life. You just can't choose to reserve some of your real estate for yourself. I'm telling you, when you become a child of God, You're saying no longer am I denying you, but I'm accepting you. And as I accept you, I accept everything about you. Your character, your nature, your future, your kingdom, your church, your people, everything about you, Lord, I accept it into my life. I'm no longer in denial. I have made a decision. I'm going to serve the Lord and give him everything I've got. You can't afford to try to straddle the fence. Peter had denied the Lord. He knew the word. He knew the gravity of what he had done. I imagine from Friday night, Friday afternoon, till Sunday morning. I imagine over that three-day period, he remembered all the good times. He remembered all the miracles. He remembered all the talks that he had had with Jesus. But overshadowing all that good, he remembered denying him three times. He remembered denying that he had ever even known him. That he had ever even known him. I don't know who this man is. He also remembered that look. You see, Jesus told him he was going to deny him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Listen to what it says in Luke twenty-two sixty-one. After Peter's third denial, the Bible says, And the Lord, you know, bearing a cross, bloodied, broken, and bruised, carrying a cross somewhere toward the Via Dolorosa to Calvary, where he's going to die for mankind. Peter denies. Peter denies. Peter denies. Jesus looks at him. 
This is what it says. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. <laughs> now, what you need to understand is that the look when their eyes met was not a look of condemnation. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit today. For just as powerful as John 3.16 is, John 3.17 is just as powerful. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And I want to tell somebody in the house, my God, I feel the Holy Spirit. I want to tell somebody in the house today that has denied him and cursed him and swore at him, he does not have a look of condemnation toward you. Quite the contrary, quite the opposite. He has a look of compassion that says my arms are open to you. If you'll simply reach up, I will embrace you because I have never stopped loving you. look of compassion and the scripture says when their eyes locked and Jesus looked at him that Peter went out and wept bitterly I'm sure he was thinking I'm a loser I've let him down I've cursed him and swore against him and denied him and that look of compassion tells me I don't know why but he's still he still loves me. He, he sees right through me. He knows who I am. There's not a nice enough garment that I could put on that would enshroud my reality from who I really am. He even said I would deny him. He even said Satan would play games with me. He said I would stray, but he would pray. I like that. That's got a ring to it. He said I would stray, but he would pray. And I'm telling you, there's some straying folks in the house. There's folks that have never accepted Jesus into your heart. You've never confessed him. You've never believed on him. I'm telling you right now, you might consider yourself straying, but Jesus is in heaven praying. There's some people in the house today, you've known the Lord, but you've walked away from the Lord, and you're straying from the Lord, and you think he wouldn't want nothing to do with you today. Oh, quite the contrary. This preacher come by to put a trumpet to his lips and to tell you that while you're straying, Jesus is still praying. And I'm telling you, as long as there is breath, there is hope. And God sent you by here in divine appointment to let you know that he loves you and he will love you until the very end. <laughs> he also said I would come back to him. Jesus said I would deny him. Jesus said he would pray for me. And Jesus said I would come back to him. <laughs> now watch this. Oh, you got to get this. I told you, Mark 16, 7 is the golden text for the day. Go tell my disciples and Peter. Because in Luke 24, 34, two disciples that were on their road to Emmaus they met Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And this is what they said to the rest of the disciples. The Lord has risen indeed 
and has appeared to Simon Peter. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say hallelujah right there. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 15, 5, Paul wrote and said, The Lord was seen of Peter, then of the twelve. Before Jesus searched out the group, he searched out the one. He practiced what he preached. When he said, I'll leave the 99 and go after the one, he meant it. And as much as we sit here in mass today, some couple hundred people in this room, the bottom line is he is seeking for you personally. Just as much as he was going after Peter, he's coming after you. Not with condemnation, no, friend. That's the lie of the devil. He has eyes of compassion upon you and a tender voice that is, that is calling you. Because he's a second chance savior. How many times have we blown it? See, it's a, it's a device of the enemy to keep throwing up your past. It's part of his tricks. That's his, that's his job. Sometimes he does it through your thoughts. Sometimes he does it through other ungodly people. Sometimes he does it through church folk. He'll pick any willing vessel that will yield to him to try to needle you about your past about the sins you committed last week, last month, last year, something you did back when you were a teenager. That's what he is. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's his job. But I've come by with some really, really good news. Satan won't forget your past. Other people may not forget your past, you may not forgive your, forget your past, but according to the Word of God, which I believe from cover to cover, when Jesus forgives you of your past, He forgets about your past. Peter would go on to be the voice of the early church to the Jewish nation. No other apostle would win more people to the Lord than Peter did. His very first sermon, 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying that you may feel like you have no worth, but Jesus says you're priceless. <laughs> Every single one of you is priceless. I know you, some of you are here. We're glad you're here for whatever reason. Some of you came because that's just what you do at Easter. You go to church. Some of you are you're, you're here because your family asked you to come. and You're going to go have some ham and rice afterward. We had our ham and rice last night. Carb overload. 
It's a family time. Family togetherness. You think, well, that's, that's kind of why I'm here. No. That may be what you think in the natural realm of things. But in the corridors of heaven, God set all this up. So that you would be at 1621 Bob White Boulevard on April 21st, 2019. So that you would be here to hear a crazy, sweaty, nasty preacher say to you that Jesus has never stopped loving you. One of the most powerful, powerful stories, true stories that I've ever read. Pastor Tony, if you'll come to the keys, play softly if you would. It's a true story. A young man has been convicted of a crime. And he's serving an eight-year sentence. He has shamed his parents. A lot of regrets. He's made some wrong choices. He's embarrassed them. And during his eight years, Brother Turpin, he would write letters to his parents, multiplied letters, and get no response. As his day of release drew near, he wrote one last letter. He said, Mom and Dad, I'm about to get out. I'm going to take the train home. I've written you letters and I haven't gotten any response, but I'm writing you this one last letter. And I know our house is near the train tracks, so I'm going to be coming right by our house. And if I'm welcomed home, the only sign I need is that you take an old bed sheet and tie it around that oak tree that sits right next to the railroad tracks. He got on that train and he started riding. And as he got closer, his heart began to beat harder until it was about to beat out of his chest. He asked someone that was on the train next to him. He couldn't even look. He said, can you look out the window? There's an old oak tree. My house is going to be coming up shortly. There's an old oak tree right next to the train tracks. Would you look and see if there's a, a bed sheet tied around that oak tree like a, like, a, like a ribbon? His stomach is in knots. He asked the question and the initial response he got was no. And for a quick moment, his heart just sank but that wasn't a period behind the no that was a comma because a person went on and said this said I see hundreds of sheets on all the trees I see sheets around the clotheslines sheets around the barbed wire fence what does it all mean and with tears coming down his face and the biggest smile you could imagine he looked at the rider next to him and he said it means I can go home and be a son again.
it's time to close your eyes. I don't know how many opportunities you're going to have to hear music and singing and playing and worship. I don't know how many times you're going to hear another preacher preach to you. Most importantly, I don't know how many more times you're going to be in an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is so strong and so powerful. But I want you to know that a resurrected king and a glorified champion who this whole earth is subject to, he is still a second chance Savior who has no other desire but to forgive you and set you free once and for all. He'll forgive the eight-year-old child. He'll forgive the 80-year-old man. First service this morning, gentleman came forward. I would say he was probably somewhere between 60 and 70 years old. Deep bass voice. And he asked Jesus to come into his heart. As long as there's breath, there's hope. The scripture said, having loved his own, he loved them until the very end. He commends, extends his love toward you, friend. While you are still a sinner this morning, he says, I died for you. For you. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, no one looking around. You say, preacher, it's time for me to come home. I've been running and Jesus has been chasing. I've cursed him. I've swore at him. I've denied him. I've betrayed him. There's times I've professed one thing, but I possess something totally different. It's time for me to come home. I've never asked Jesus into my heart, but I feel this drawing today. Or there's been a time that I was on fire for the Lord and I knew the Lord and I had a relationship with the Lord, but I walked away from Him. I left my first love. But today, I feel the tender touch of His hand. I hear His tender voice whispering into my ear. I see Him looking into my eyes, not with condemnation, but with compassion. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, things are not, they're not right with me, me and God. 
they're just not they're just not right i know that i know in my heart that i'm not where i should be with the lord and you would just slip up your hand and put it right back down i give you my word i would not embarrass a soul in this place but no one looking around but you just slip up your hand and say you know i know things are not good with between me and god thank you for that honesty thank you for that honesty thank you for that honesty hands are going up come on is there others in the room thank you for that honesty Six or seven hands have gone up. Say, the Lord is drawing me. Let me tell you something that's important for you to know. It's easy to blend in, but when you're a Christian or when you want to become a Christian, or when you want to find a repaired relationship with Christ, you got to take a bold step. You've been so bold as to raise your hand. I had two that stepped out in the early service this morning, and, you know, it didn't matter what other people thought about them. They, they wanted prayer. They wanted to make things right with Jesus. And so they got up from where they were, and they came, and we prayed for them. And so I'm going to tell you today, Part of that confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart is to say, Lord, no matter what, I I'm going to follow you. And I will be the first to admit that I need prayer. You've raised your hand. Now, would you be so bold as to step out from where you are and come? Somebody will meet you here. We'll pray with you. We'll love on you. We are the hands, the feet, the arms of Jesus. How about it this morning? How about it this morning? You've raised your hand. You've already done that. You've already acknowledged there's a need. Don't leave here today. Continuing to walk as a dead man, as a dead woman, as a dead young person. Because the scripture says if you don't, if you don't turn your life over to him, you're dead in trespasses and sins. The only life there is is life in Christ. This altar's open. This altar's open. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we go, I want, I want to pray. Because I know there are several that raised their hands and maybe there's some hesitation as to why you didn't come forward for prayer. God bless this honest heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Could today be the day? Could today be the day? The Lord sees and says, you know what? I'm going to open up the book of life. I'm going to write their name in. They're going to become a citizen of heaven. I don't want to belabor this, but I don't want to miss someone to miss out. You need prayer. Can we just right now rejoice with the angels of heaven in a soul coming home to the Lord? Could we do that right now?
Jesus loves you. We love you. We hope that you'll come worship with us again. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be in a, our new facilities right next door. We're looking forward to that. But it has been a great day to be in the house of God. Amen? It's been a great day to be in the house of God. Brother Gene Turpin, would you come and dismiss us in prayer?